0: chapter 52 of faulkner this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by rita buchos faulkner by mary shelley chapter 52 the beautiful month of may had arrived with her light budding foliage which seems to hang over the hoar branches of the trees like a green aerial mist the nightingales sung through the moonlight night and every other feathered chorister took up the note at early dawn the sweetest flowers in the year embroidered the fields, and the verdant cornfields were spread like a lake, now glittering in the sun, now covered over by the shadows of the clouds. It appeared impossible not to hope, not to enjoy. Yet a seriousness had again gathered over Faulkner's countenance that denoted the return of care. He avoided the society even of Elizabeth. His rides were solitary, his evenings passed in the seclusion of his own room. Elizabeth, for the first time in her life, grew a little discontented. I sacrificed all to him, she thought, yet I cannot make him happy. Love alone possesses the sceptre, and arbitrary power to rule. Every other affection admits a parliament of thoughts, and debate and divisions ensue, which may make us wiser, but which sadly derogates from the throne-state of what we fancy a master sentiment. I cannot make Faulkner happy. Yet Neville is miserable through my endeavours, and to such struggle there is no end. My promised faith is inviolable, nor do I even wish to break it. One balmy, lovely day, Elizabeth rode out with her cousins. Mrs. Raby was driving her father-in-law through the grounds in the Pony Phaeton. Faulkner had been out and was returned. Several days had passed, and no answer arrived from Neville. He was uneasy and sad, and yet rejoiced at the respite afforded to the final parting with his child. Suddenly, from the glass doors of the salon, he perceived a gentleman riding up the avenue. He recognized him and exclaimed, "'All is over!' At that moment he felt himself transported to a distant land, surrounded by strangers, cut off from all he held dear. Such must be the consequence of the arrival of Gerard Neville, and it was he who, dismounting, in a few minutes after, entered the room. He came up to Faulkner and held out his hand, saying, "'We must be friends, Mr. Faulkner. From this moment I trust that we are friends.' We join together for the happiness of the dearest and most perfect being in the world. Faulkner could not take his hand. His manner grew cold. But he readily replied, I hope we do, and we must concert together to ensure our success. Yet there is one other, continued Neville, whom we must take into our consultations. Mrs. Raby? No, Elizabeth herself. She alone can decide for us all, and teach us the right path to take. Do not mistake me. I know the road she will point out, and am ready to follow it. Do you think I could deceive her? Could I ask her to give me her dear self, and thus generously raise me to the very height of human happiness, with deception on my lips? I am indeed unworthy of her, if I were capable of such an act." Yet, but for the sake of honest truth, I would not even consult her. My own mind is made up, if you consent. I am come to you, Mr. Faulkner, as a suppliant, to ask you to give me your adopted child, but not to separate you from her. I should detest myself if I were the cause of so much sorrow to either. If my conduct need explanation in the world, you are my excuse. I need go no further.' "'We must both join in rendering Miss Raby happy, "'and both, I trust, remain friends to the end of our lives.' "'You are generous,' replied Faulkner. "'Perhaps you are just. "'I am not unworthy of the friendship you offer, "'were you any other than you are. "'It is because I am such as I am "'that I venture to make advances "'which would be impertinent from any other.' "'At this moment a light step was heard on the lawn without.' and Elizabeth stood before them. She paused in utter wonder on seeing Faulkner and Neville together. Soon surprise was replaced by undisguised delight. Her expressive countenance became radiant with happiness. Faulkner addressed her. "'I present a friend to you, dear Elizabeth. I leave you with him. He will best explain his purposes and wishes. Meanwhile I must remark that I consider him bound by nothing that has been said.' you must take counsel together. You must act for your mutual happiness. That is all the condition I make. I yield to no other. Be happy, and, if it be necessary, forget me, as I am very willing to forget myself. Faulkner left them, and they, instinctively, so to prevent interruption, took their way into a woody glade of the park and as they walked beneath the shadows of some beautiful lime-trees, on the crisp green turf, disclosed to each other every inner thought and feeling. Neville declared his resolve not to separate her from her benefactor. If the world censure me, he said, I am content, I am accustomed to its judgments, and never found them sway or annoy me. I do right for my own heart, It is a godlike task to reward the penitent. In religion and morality I know that I am justified. Whether I am in the code of worldly honor, I leave others to decide. And yet I believe that I am. I had once thought to have met Faulkner in a duel, but my father's vengeance prevented that. He is now acquitted before all the world of being more than the accidental cause of my dear mother's death Knights of old, after they fought in right good earnest, became friends, each finding, in the bravery of the other, a cause for esteem. Such is the situation of Rupert Faulkner and myself. And we will both join, dear Elizabeth, in making him forget the past and rendering his future years calm and happy. Elizabeth could only look her gratitude— She felt, as was most true, that this was not a cause for words or reason. Faulkner in himself offered, or did not offer, full excuse for the generosity of Neville. No one could see him, and not allow, that the affectionate, duteous son in no way derogated from his reverence for his mother's memory, by entirely forgiving him who honored her as an earthly angel and had deplored through years of unutterable anguish the mortal injury done her satisfied in his own mind that he acted rightly Neville did not seek for any other approval and yet he gladly accepted it from elizabeth whose heart touched to its very core by his nobleness felt an almost painful weight of gratitude and love she tried to express it Fortunately between lovers mere language is not necessary ineffectually to utter that which transcends all expression Neville felt himself most sweetly thanked. A more happy pair never trod this lovely earth than the two that, closely linked hand in hand, and with hearts open and true as the sunlight about them, enjoyed the sweetest hour of love, the first of acknowledged perpetual union, beneath the majestic deep-shadowing thickets of Belle Forest. All that had seemed so difficult now took its course easily, They did not any of them seek to account for or to justify the course they took. They each knew that they could not do other than they did. Elizabeth could not break faith with Faulkner. Neville could not renounce her. It might be strange, but it must be so. They three must remain together through life, despite all of tragic and miserable that seemed to separate them. Even Lady Cecil admitted that there was no choice. Elizabeth must be one. She was too dear a treasure to be voluntarily renounced. In a few weeks, the wedding-day of Sir Gerard Neville and Miss Raby being fixed, she joined them at Belforest and saw, with genuine pleasure, the happiness of the two persons whom she esteemed, and loved most in the world, secured. Mrs. Raby's warm heart reaped its own reward in witnessing this felicitous conclusion of her interference. Whether the reader of this eventful tale will coincide with every other person, fully in the confidence of all, in the opinion that such was the necessary termination of a position full of difficulty, is hard to say, but so it was— and it is most certain that no woman who ever saw Rupert Faulkner but thought Neville just and judicious, and if any man disputed this point, when he saw Elizabeth he was an immediate convert. As much happiness as any one can enjoy, whose inner mind bears the unhealing wound of a culpable act, fell to the portion of Faulkner." He had repented, and was forgiven, we may believe, in heaven, as well as on earth. He could not forgive himself, and this one shadow remained upon his lot. It could not be got rid of. Yet perhaps in the gratitude he felt to those about him, in the softened tenderness inspired by the sense that he was dealt with more leniently than he believed that he deserved, he found full compensation for the memories that made him feel himself a perpetual mourner beside Alethea's grave. Neville and Elizabeth had no drawback to their felicity. They cared not for the world, and when they did enter it, the merits of both commanded respect and liking. They were happy in each other, happy in a growing family, happy in Faulkner, whom, as Neville had said, it was impossible to regard with lukewarm sentiments. And they derived a large store of happiness from his enlightened mind, from the elevated tone of moral feeling, which was the result of his sufferings, and from the deep affection with which he regarded them both. They were happy also in the wealth which gave scope to the benevolence of their dispositions, and in the talents that guided them rightly through the devious maze of life. They often visited Drawmore, but their chief time was spent at their seat in Bucks, near which Faulkner had purchased a villa. He lived in retirement. He grew a sage amid his books and his own reflections. But his heart was true to itself to the end, and his pleasures were derived from the society of his beloved Elizabeth, of Neville, who was scarcely less dear, and their beautiful children. Surrounded by these, he felt no want of the nearest ties. They were to him as his own. Time passed lightly on, bringing no apparent change. Thus they still live, and Neville has never for a moment repented the irresistible impulse that led him to become the friend of him whose act had rendered his childhood miserable, but who completed the happiness of his maturer years. End of chapter 52 End of Faulkner by Mary Shelley